Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Michael C. McRory, MD, MS, about the article, Time of Admission to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit and Mortality, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in October 2017. Dr. McRory is an associate professor and pediatric intensive care attending in the Department of Anesthesiology in the section of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine at Wake Forest University School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Welcome, Dr. McCrory. Thank you for having me. Before we begin, do you have any disclosures to share? No, I do not. Okay. So start by telling us how you became interested in this topic. What was out there? What did we what do we know and what do we need to know? Well, when I came to Wake Forest, I had the opportunity to start working with the Virtual Pediatric Systems or VPS database. And in working with this database, we have data entered by our nurses uh, into the database, and we receive quarterly and annual reports. And VPS, it's the largest critical care uh, clinical database. And when we get these reports, we're benchmarked against a small um, proportion. There are actually over 130 units at this point, but we get benchmarked against approximately 30 like units. And when we get these benchmark reports, we're able to see not only some quality and efficiency data like severity-adjusted mortality or severity-adjusted length of stay, but we're also able to see some things about how admissions and discharges vary throughout the day in hour-long periods in our unit as compared to other units. And so we noticed that similar to other units, we had the majority of our admissions and discharges throughout the middle of the day and throughout the afternoon and primarily on weekdays. But as we thought about this further, we decided to um, first do a research project where we requested de-identified data from VPS and looked at off-hours admission as defined as night and weekend admission. And so with that first study, we got um, over 230,000 admissions, and we did a severity-adjusted analysis of the night and weekend admissions, and we actually found a little bit to our surprise that the night and weekend admissions were not associated with increased severity-adjusted mortality. And we knew that the existing data in adults showed that there was some signal of increased mortality on weekends primarily, and we had, there was at least one previous pediatric study that showed increased severity-adjusted mortality uh, for nighttime admissions. Um, but what we found was actually that the time period associated with the highest mortality for our pediatric intensive care admissions was actually in the morning, um, around 6 to 10 a.m. in the morning. So admissions during those hours actually had the highest risk-adjusted mortality, and we realized there were a couple of studies in adults that had shown similar findings of increased mortality for morning admissions, and the thought was perhaps it was related to rounding or other factors in the ICU. And so with this study, we wanted to get a large and recent cohort from VPS and unpack it a little bit further to look at individual hours of admission outside of necessarily just the aggregate night and weekend period and try to determine if there really was an association of certain time of admission and mortality in pediatric intensive care. So how did you go about doing that? So what we did was, well, we were able to obtain um, over 390,000 admissions to 129 PICUs in the United States over a five-year period. And 64% of them were academic centers, and 56% of them had 24-7 intensivist coverage. So that was important for us to know, to get a little bit of information about um, staffing, at least what we were able to get. And when we looked at these admissions, we were able to get information about each hour of the day as well as day of the week and see what the mortality was for admissions during these hours. And so 
we found that the overall mortality was 2.31%. So um, luckily, that's very low. We're glad to have low mortality in our pediatric ICUs. This number is a lot lower, of course, than most of the adult studies, which show mortality up in the 20% or more range. And so I think that makes it difficult in our field to see, to find differences in mortality unless you have the opportunity to use large databases like this. But what we did find was that the 7 a.m. hour was the um, hour associated with the highest mortality. So the raw mortality during that hour was 3.32%, so one percentage point higher than the overall mortality. And the lowest mortality was between 2 and 2.59 p.m., so that was 1.9%. And that hour isn't particularly surprising to see a lower mortality, as we know that we have a lot of resources available typically in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, and we get a lot of scheduled admissions during that time period, um, such as from the operating room and other places. And then when we broke it down by weekdays versus weekends, we found similarly that the 7 a.m. hour had the highest mortality on weekdays, but for weekends it was actually a little bit later. It was the 9 a.m. hour from 9 to 9.59 that had the highest mortality, and this was the single hour of the highest observed mortality. It was 4.66%, so roughly double the overall mortality for those patients admitted between 9 and 9.59 a.m. on weekends. So that got of our, our attention. And, you know, one might expect that there could be random variation of mortality throughout the hours of the day, but we did find that these, these four hours of the morning period between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., so 6, 7, 8, and 9 a.m. hours, each of them had higher mortality than any other hour outside that period. So each of those hours had at least a 2.7% mortality, whereas every other hour throughout the 24-hour period had a 2.5 or less percent mortality. So it didn't seem like a randomly distributed phenomenon. It seemed like there was a time of clinical interest there in the in the morning period. And so as we moved forward, we used that four-hour period to compare um, with other uh, time periods in multivariable analysis. So this this is really intriguing. It's not necessarily, as you said, what you, you would expect. And certainly... Um, we've probably all had the experience of having rounds interrupted by a critically ill patient coming in and nothing starts your day off great and not <laughs> quite like that does. But does that explain the higher mortality? What do, you, what do you think are the factors that are, I mean, I realize it's conjecture, but what do you think could be driving this effect or this association? Well, it's interesting. Um, as intensivists, as we've discussed these findings, um, people tend to immediately think about rounds and about things going on in the ICU. As part of our multivariable analysis, we were able to account for a number of factors. So we did control for severity of illness using pediatric index of mortality too, as well as age. We accounted for 24-7 intensivist coverage, as I mentioned, and, and trauma status and other factors that we had available through the, the VPS database, which really just tracks patients while they're in the ICU, so from admission until discharge or death. And so when we compared this four-hour morning period with the other four-hour periods, and we actually used that the afternoon period from 2 to, to 5.59 p.m. as the reference, since this had the highest number of admissions and the lowest observed mortality at 2.07%, and also as a clinically a time when we, we sort of know that there's a lot of resources available and a lot of scheduled admissions. When we did that comparison accounting for those factors, we found that the odds of mortality were, were higher. They were, it was, the odds ratio was 1.15 for that morning time period. And then we also found that the midday period from 11 to 159 also had increased odds of mortality, which was um, an odds ratio slightly lower at 1.09, which is a little bit surprising to us as we hadn't um, sort of a priori been as interested in the midday period. But when we unpacked it by weekdays versus weekends, we found that um, on weekdays, it was really only that morning time period from 6 to 10.59 that had increased odds of mortality. Whereas on weekends, it was actually throughout the day, the morning time period 
from 6 to 1059 had the highest odds ratio of mortality for any four-hour period, and that was 1.33. In other words, 33% increased odds of mortality for patients admitted during the weekend mornings as compared with weekday afternoons, which got our attention. But then the midday and afternoon time periods on weekends were also significantly associated with increased mortality. So, you know, previous studies in kids have never have not found typically um, increased mortality for the aggregate weekend period, but our data suggests that there is something going on that, that um, associated with those morning time periods especially, but also somewhat with uh, the rest of the day throughout the weekends. And so, as you alluded to, you know, we have to be cautious assigning any causation from a correlation in a large database study, and we have to think carefully about what, what the difference between clinical and statistical significance when we're using these types of large numbers. We are fortunate to be able to have this large database and be able to look at this mortality signal, but we, of course, have limited um, ability to look at some of the specific things we might be interested in, such as rounding times or handoff practices or rapid response team presence. But the way we've been thinking about the, the possible causes of this association is really kind of breaking it down into two sort of categories of factors. And I think um, one main factor that you, or category that, that we've alluded to is aspects of care after the patient arrives in the ICU. So I think we intuitively know that some things may be different at different times in the ICU. Um, there, there are rounds going on that could distract caregivers. There are patient handoffs that would typically occur in the mornings in ICUs. There may be differences in staffing or experience levels of staff, although, again, we were able to control for 24-7 intensivist, attending intensivist staffing, but not necessarily aspects of nursing or other staff. Um, or availability of diagnostic services or ancillary staff, and and folks may just be tired at the end of the at the end of the night, kind of in that late late night early morning period. But another way we really wanted to think about it, other than just factors in the ICU, is also factors that affects these patients prior to their arrival in the ICU. This time period of 6 a.m. to 9:59 a.m. had a, actually a fairly low number or percentage of admissions, it was only 8% of the total admissions, whereas if the admissions were evenly distributed throughout the four-hour periods, you would expect, which of course we know they aren't, but it would be more like 16%. So it doesn't seem like the, the ICU staff are necessarily overwhelmed by huge numbers of admissions, but these patients may be systematically different in certain ways. And one could imagine, as we've discussed these things, that perhaps there are differences in those late night and early morning hours that make a difference in these patients' outcome and, and sort of play into why they're transferred at those early morning times that wouldn't necessarily be people's first choice to transfer a patient, it would seem. So were these patients sicker in ways that are not captured by our severity of illness scoring? I think um, the pediatric index of mortality, too, as well as the PRISM-3, which we use for a sensitivity analysis, primarily look at vital sign parameters and some other factors, but there may be other things such as how long has the patient been experiencing deterioration? Had they already gotten certain treatments, initial treatments, and they were refractory to those, and that's why they were, ended up being transferred to the ICU at that time? Or were there any delays in care or delays in transfer during the late night or early morning hours? I guess you could imagine it happening at home. Perhaps the patients were at home and not brought to the emergency department until the early morning because their caregivers chose not to in the middle of the night or were asleep or for other reasons didn't bring them. Perhaps they went to the operating room later, or perhaps they were transferred from an inpatient floor or another inpatient location, such as another ICU, and that transfer could have been delayed just because it was the middle of the night or the early morning, and the thought was, maybe we won't bother them, we'll try a few more things, or another caregiver could have showed up um, kind of at that typical time when folks are arriving in the 6 to 
7 a.m. hour and perhaps then the transfer occurred. We, did, we were able to look at a few factors with the data available to us in VPS to try to evaluate this at least, um, prim, um, at least initially. And we, did, we noticed that every time period of admission with increased mortality, so that four-hour morning time period as well as those midday and afternoon periods on weekends, did have a higher proportion of admissions from the inpatient floor. So it was approximately 18 to 26 percent as compared with the other time periods, which was more in the 10 to 15 percent range. Of course, there were fewer scheduled admissions during that time. That could be part of the reason. But there was also an increased uh, percentage of outside ICU admissions, especially on the weekends. So it was more like it was still a relatively small percentage, but it was roughly double around 3.5 percent versus somewhere in the 1.5 um, to 2 or a little bit more percent range. And so that could somewhat support the idea that perhaps these patients were having more prolonged or um, deterioration or refractory to treatment or perhaps delayed transfer from these locations. Someone didn't recognize, as you said, the ones perhaps on the floor, it wasn't recognized how sick they were until another caregiver came in and looked and said, oh, my goodness. Correct. Yes. And again, a lot of these things are just hypotheses, and and it's complex. There's a lot of things that are difficult to measure in, in these things that we've discussed. But another piece of supporting data that we were able to actually evaluate was breaking it down by origin of admission, that is available in in VPS. So we're able to look at the patients separately who came from the emergency department or operating room or inpatient or outside ICU location. And we did find a a statistically strong association between morning admission, especially in the morning, and mortality from uh, those who came from the inpatient location with an odds ratio of 1.2 and from the outside ICU location with an odds ratio of 1.4, 1.4, so it was actually 40% increased odds of death for morning admissions coming from the outside ICU. So um, it definitely has gotten our attention, stimulated a lot of um, ideas and thoughts. We've also thought a little bit about the ideas of circadian rhythms. You know, are there differences in patient physiologies, such as cortisol or mm-hmm. sympathetic tone or other aspects? That would also be fairly difficult to measure, although perhaps would show up somewhat in in vital signs and other things measured. And also, as I mentioned, just provider fatigue kind of in those early morning or or late, late evening hours. Are there other studies that have come out recently that have influenced your thinking on this topic? Well, there's a really interesting study that came out just this month in critical care medicine. It was by Chirpec et al., and it looked at the Get With the Guidelines database, looking at rapid response team activation um, and time of day. And there has been some other data on this topic and that showed similar findings. This is, this is a large and recent study, primarily in adults, but they did show that the lowest call volume for their rapid response teams in this database was between 1 a.m. and 7 a.m., supporting this idea that perhaps these patients in these early morning hours are not being perhaps recognized their deteriorations and the, and the rapid response teams are not being activated. And they found that the highest mortality was for rapid response activations in the 7 a.m. hour. And these patients had um, worse vital signs on presentation and higher mortality. So, again, this coincides with some other studies that showed that there's diurnal variation or variation throughout the day in, in how the rapid response teams are signaled to come evaluate deteriorating patients. And also, you know, there are data that delayed activation of these teams does lead to worse outcomes. So it kind of all fits together and and points um, kind of in the same direction that there may be something going on in those early morning hours that we found interesting. One other thing I did want to mention is when we looked by quartiles of of the academic year, we also found an interesting finding there looking at the periods of time the first quartile of the academic year, the July to September quartile, we did find also increased odds of death for morning admissions. So we know clinically that that's typically the time when you know newer, less experienced trainees may be taking care of patients 
on the floor or in other locations, perhaps even in the ICU. And um, that also kind of points us in the direction there may be systematic differences in care in these patients uh, that could be partially contributing to this um, outcome difference that we're seeing. Well, you have presented some really intriguing data. What is next? Where do you go from here? How do you try to sort this stuff out? Well, again, I, I think we've we've been fortunate to be able to use this large database, and it's allowed us to look at this rare signal, um, uh, this rare outcome of mortality. But I think now that we've seen this and we've looked at the many of the factors that are present in, in BPS, we need to perhaps dig a little bit deeper, um, drill down a little bit more to find out about some of these system factors that may vary by center, but I think a lot of them are, are fairly similar between centers in terms of what happens at different times throughout the day, what, what are handoff practices and how does that influence things, how are rapid response teams triggered and how are patients brought to provider attention and transferred, and are there delays in those transfer that vary by time of day specifically um, in this late, late evening, early morning period. Again, it's likely a complex collection of factors, but I think looking at maybe an individual institution level or at other databases that may have other data available, even if you can't necessarily still show that mortality signal, if you can show these diurnal variations, it may continue to accumulate evidence to help us understand what's going on. I think specifically reviewing patient information leading up to the events. Was there an unrecognized deterioration? Were there delays or preventable factors? But one other thing I forgot to mention also that was interesting and leads us to believe that this this finding is indeed there is that we found when we divided the outcome into time till mortality, the overall outcome was PICU mortality just any time during the uh, the time in the PICU. But when we divided it into roughly equal thirds of, of the, among those who died, who died in less than 48 hours versus 48 hours to seven days versus greater than or equal seven days, we found that morning admission was really only associated with mortality in less than 48 hours. So it, again, lends a little more credence that maybe there are factors there right at the time of admission that are um, contributing to this mortality that's occurring um, relatively early in the hospital course. So um, I think, you know, from my practice, I am interested in studying these factors further to find out if there are preventable aspects going on in the care of the patients leading up to these events. But also, just in my clinical practice, you know, I, I kind of have a higher pretest probability of poor outcome or my antennas are up, so to speak, when I get patients admitted during this morning time period any day of the week or, or even midday on weekends, um, especially if they're coming from an inpatient location or another ICU, but really from anywhere. Just to say, let's make sure we're carefully evaluating these patients, thinking carefully about whether they've already re received treatments that they may have not responded to and, and intervening quickly and also you know, providing careful targeted reassessment of the patients to see how they're responding to therapies and make sure we're keeping in mind that they may be at a, a particularly vulnerable of having a poor outcome. So I think also, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of efforts to go on to standardize handoff practices, and I think that could only help with some of these time periods that we're interested in. Also, you know, strategies to try to make sure that rapid response team activations occur even beyond some of the factors that may lead to them being delayed, such as early warning system scores that could trigger evaluation or transfer, as well as vital sign-based algorithms that would allow folks to know when a deterioration is imminent and make sure any intervention and transfer is, is done um, in an expeditious manner. It's also intriguing that this phenomenon of higher risk of mortality goes on essentially all day on the weekends, but not at night. I mean, that really is not what I might have expected. So I think you have a lot of work ahead of you. Thank you. Yes, I, I also was surprised by that. And it also leads me to believe that maybe there are a lot of factors prior to arrival, because I do think 
in the ICU, if you're thinking about when resources are less available or when folks are more tired, I would have expected things kind of in the midnight to 6 a.m. range perhaps. So um, I think we still need to think very carefully about factors both prior to ICU arrival and and after ICU arrival in terms of what's going on and how these patients might might receive uh, might be systematically different or receiving care that's that's somehow different. Well, this is great stuff. Um, do you have any final comments you'd like to make? No, I'd just like to thank you for the opportunity. Thanks to SCCM. I'd like to thank my wife, Jessica, and my family, and my mentors, co-authors, and colleagues here at Wake Forest. And um, thank you for the, the time. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today, Michael. We have been talking today with Dr. Michael McCrory from Wake Forest University School of Medicine about the article, Time of Admission to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit and Mortality, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in October 2017. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCriticalCare podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM. Dr. Margaret Parker is Professor of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include sepsis and septic shock in children. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.